0: Praise and honor be God along alone. Amen. Amen. If you will uh, remain standing and grab your Bibles as we continue to worship through the reading of God's word this morning and turn to the book of 2 Peter. Pastor Bruce continues in his series, Persevere Living in the Last Days. We're going to be using 2 Peter 3, verses 10 through 13 as our text this morning. 2 Peter 3, verses 10 through 13. If you need a Bible, there are a few Bibles in front of you. Pastor Bruce will be continuing his series as we look at holy people of hope, and set as the text Second Peter chapter three verses ten through thirteen. Follow along as I read. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Father, we thank you for your promises. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for the hope that we can find in your word to persevere in trying days and last days. May our hearts be open. May you be with Pastor Bruce, and just thank you for his preparation and leadership this week and use Him to speak truth into our lives from Your Word. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: We are learning in this series, and we have seen so far, that Peter is exhorting us as Christ followers, specifically here in chapter 3. He's exhorting us to persevere. Persevere in the faith. Persevere in the Lord. For we are living in the last days. Perhaps you have given more thought to that reality here recently that we are living in the last days. Perhaps these last 18 months specifically have caused you to contemplate a little more, to ponder the eternal significance of your life in these last days. In fact, last January, a group of scientists gathered together and they put out this warning on their website. This is your COVID wake-up call. It is 100 seconds to midnight on the doomsday clock. Now, the doomsday clock, it doesn't necessarily function as a prediction of calamity, but rather it is a metaphor that represents how close humanity is to self-destruction. It warns, in other words, of how many metaphorical minutes to midnight humanity has left. And so the clock hands on this doomsday clock are set by the what is known, they call themselves the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists. It's actually a group that was formed by the Manhattan Project scientists at the University of Chicago, who then helped build the atomic bomb at that time, but then protested using it against people. The Bulletin, as they call themselves for short... It has maintained this doomsday clock since 1947. And it has become a a rather stark visual metaphor since its launch during the Cold War when the clock hands were set at seven minutes to midnight. Rachel Bronson, who is now the current president of the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists, said that this coronavirus pandemic has functioned as a historic wake-up call, one that has revealed how many governments and international organizations are unprepared to handle complex and dangerous challenges. And she goes on and she says, the doomsday clock continues to hover dangerously close to catastrophe, reminding us how much work is needed to push the hands away from midnight. Now, while I can appreciate the warning by these scientists as Christ's followers, listen, we here, we should pay much closer attention to Peter's warning about the coming day of the Lord here in 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter warns us, look at it again, notice what he says in verse 10. He says, but the day of the Lord will come. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So the question is not if the world will end. The question is not will the doomsday clock hit midnight. It will. The world will end. The question Peter wants us to focus on here, and especially as Christ followers, is In light of the coming day of the Lord, what kind of people should we now be? What kind of people, he says, should we be as Christ's followers? That's his question that he is posing to us in light of the reality that we are living in the last days and Jesus is coming. What he calls the day of the Lord. And he gives us an answer, and the answer is this. We here, as Christ followers, we should be holy people of hope. That's what we should be, and that's how we should live. Notice how Peter asks this question in verse 11. Look at it in your Bibles. He says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? The NIV says it this way, Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? In other words, Peter, he's not warning us here about the destruction of the world just to satisfy our curiosity, even though we're all curious about that. He's warning us here about the outcome of the world in order to motivate us to live differently than those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You see, as people now who have been rescued by Jesus Christ from this passing world, Peter is imploring us. He is saying we we should live differently. We should be holy people of hope in this hopeless world. And that means being holy people of hope in the midst of this chaotic world, in the midst of a very corrupt world, and yes, even in the midst of a COVID world what we're going to see is that there are two things that Peter focuses in on here. He lasers in on two things that should characterize our lives as Christ followers who live in light of the coming day of the Lord. And he says the first thing is one is waiting in hopefulness, and he says number two, the other one is living in holiness. These two things ought to characterize us. And so I, I throw out the question to you, to myself, does that characterize me? Am I waiting in hopefulness and am I living in holiness? Does that characterize my life today? Or am I struggling in this as a proclaimed Christ follower? Am I, am I living in fear? Am I living in ungodliness Does my life not represent Jesus Christ the way it should? How am I living? And so this is a question that Peter wants us to ask. He wants us to evaluate our lives by. Why? It's in light of a coming truth, the truth that the day of the Lord is coming, and in light of that, how then should we live? This question, this reality that Jesus is coming, the day of the Lord is coming, that reality should impact how we live today, now. And Peter's answer to that, is listen, we we more than any others. We should be pe- holy people, filled with hope. And so, does that characterize you? Notice number one. Let's unpack that a little bit. Let's look what it means and see what Peter says about this. First of all, we should be waiting with hopefulness for the future. Peter uses this verb "waiting" three different times here in three verses. And so it's a key word in this section, waiting. And it means to wait eagerly, to be expected. In fact, some translations even uh, translate the word that this, they're waiting as to looking. And so it's the idea of waiting and looking in anticipation. The first use is found in verse 12. He says, waiting for the coming day of the Lord. The second use is found in verse 13, waiting for the new heavens and a new earth. And then he says in verse 14, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things. Now, waiting eagerly, looking in anticipation, this describes the attitude that we should have towards Christ's coming. And because we know Christ as our Savior and Lord, we don't wait for the future with an attitude of fearfulness. Rather, we wait with an attitude of hope hopefulness That's what should characterize us, even in a corrupt world, a chaotic world, and especially a COVID world. We wait with an attitude of hopefulness because our faith overcomes our fear. And our faith is what allows us to now live and wait and look forward to in hope and not fear. And yet, if you don't know Christ as your Savior and Lord here this morning, then there ought to be a sense of fear fear at the promise of Christ's coming in judgment. And that that fear ought to point you and turn you to Jesus Christ as your hope so that you now can then wait in anticipation, look forward to the day of the Lord's return with hope. Now, for believers in Christ, here are two things we wait with hopefulness for. First of all, we wait with hopefulness, as we've already alluded to, to the day of the Lord. That brings up the question that we need to answer. Well, what is the day of the Lord? Well, the day of the Lord, that phrase, that term, is also known as the day of judgment in Scripture. It's also referred to as the day of God, even here in 2 Peter 3 and verse 12. All three of these phrases, the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, the day of God, they refer to this climatic event when Christ will return to the earth to judge the ungodly, to vindicate his name, to destroy his enemies, reveal his glory, and establish his eternal kingdom. The day of the Lord was a very familiar theme in the Old Testament. For example, the prophet Isaiah says in 13.9, where he warns, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger to make the land a desolation. He will exterminate its sinners from it. And now notice what Peter emphasizes about the day of the Lord here in verse 10. He says, but the day the Lord will come, and then he adds this phrase to it like a, how? Like a thief. Now, that's interesting that Peter uses that phrase and attaches it here because it was Jesus Christ who first put those two things together. The day of the Lord and the image of a thief. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 42 and 43, he says, Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched. He would not have allowed his house to be broken into. And the Apostle Paul, he took Jesus' teaching, and he passed it on to other believers when he writes in 1 Thessalonians 5 Verses two through four, he says, for you know very well that the day the Lord will come like a thief in the night while people are saying peace and safety. And that is the motto of our culture today, is it not? That is the motto our government preaches, peace and safety. That's what reigns supreme right now. It's no different than Paul's day. But notice what Paul adds, what he says. He says, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night while people are saying peace and safety, Paul says, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, that term is in Christ, brothers and sisters in the family of God, you are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. And now Peter, he says the same thing. So what are Jesus and Paul and Peter all saying about the day of the Lord? They are saying this. You can count on it. That day of the Lord is coming, but you cannot predict it. That's what they are saying here. In other words, you can count on the day of the Lord coming, but you cannot predict when it will happen because it will come like a thief in the night. And as you know, a thief in the night does not announce his coming. He does not send you a text ahead of time, by the way, I'm getting ready to rob your house at three in the morning. He doesn't do that. They come surprisingly, they come undercover in disguise. So while we do not know when the day of the Lord will happen, Peter is telling us, along with other scriptures, We are told what will happen on that day, though. Look what Peter writes in the rest of verse 10. He says, but the day of the Lord will come, how? Like a thief, and then notice what will happen. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Now, Peter is emphasizing the destruction of the present world specifically by fire. He even repeats that in verse 12 when he says that the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. And did you catch all the certainties on the day of the Lord? Peter uses language here of what will happen, not might happen. So what will happen on the day of the Lord? Well, Peter tells us three things that will happen on this day. Notice this. He says, first of all, the heavens will pass away with a roar. Now, the heavens, in tandem with the earth, it refers to all that God has created in the universe. And this roar, when he says with a roar, pass away with a roar, it refers to this rushing sound that nobody really knows what it means or what it is. They there's a, it's alluded to in other places, such as it might be like the, the sound of a whizzing of an arrow when you shoot it and it goes by your ear. It might be the hissing of snakes or or even the crackling sound of a fire. Nobody really knows, but it is a roar. It refers to a rushing sound. Jesus said in Matthew twenty four thirty five that the heaven and earth will pass away. Isaiah. 34.4 pictures the sky just kind of being rolled up like a scroll as it passes away. And so the first thing Peter tells us that will happen on this day is the heavens, in tandem with the earth, will pass away with a roar. And then he tells us, number two, the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. Now, the heavenly bodies, that that includes things like the stars and the planets the galaxies. In other words, anything which is a component part of the universe. And Peter says it's gonna be burned up. And burned up means to disintegrate, to be dissolved by fire. And so is saying that everything in the universe, every aspect of the galaxies, every component of the universe will be burned up and dissolved. And it's interesting because God could destroy the earth again as he did in the days of the flood. And he did that how? By water. And yet God has promised to deal with this world with fire this time and not a flood. And then that brings us to number three that Peter tells us. He gives us insight here. He says the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And so if the entire cosmos is to be destroyed by fire, it should not surprise us that our planet will be included. But Peter's going even further than that here, I think. He seems to be saying that on this great and terrible day of the Lord, there will be nowhere to hide. We will be exposed. The scoffers that Peter's already alluded to, the false teachers he referred to in chapter 2, these people who thought that God could not see what they were doing, that God would not intervene because he never intervened before, will find that there will be no place to hide from God in his judgment on this day. Peter also says that man's great works will also be burned up. In other words, everything that mankind has made and done on this earth will be destroyed by fire. It will all go up in smoke. So everything will either be burned up or exposed before God. The game will be up for all those who desire to live without Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but that's somewhat frightening the destruction of our world is certainly a terrifying picture that's even beyond our imagination. As much as Hollywood's creativity comes up with destruction and galactical destruction of cosmos, the world, and they do a pretty good job depicting that, Peter goes beyond that. We can't even imagine what this will be like. In fact, we may be wondering even now, if this cosmic destruction is coming, then how can there be any hope? How can we wait as Christ followers with hopefulness for the day of the Lord when it means the end of the world as we know it? Well, rather than this destruction meaning the end of hope, For us as Christ followers, Peter tells us to look beyond the destruction to a new creation. If the future offered only destruction, we would be miserable. There would be no hope indeed. But the day of the Lord offers deliverance from this fallen world to those who know Christ as their Savior. And that's why we not only wait with hopefulness for the day of the Lord... Ultimately, we wait with hopefulness for the new heavens and earth that is to come. It might seem strange to us that God should destroy the world which he created and which he once called, according to Genesis 1, very good. But remember, the Bible starts and then it finishes with a God who creates a universe and then he creates a new universe. Why is this? Well, according to Genesis 1 through 3, God made a very good world. But because of human sin, he placed it under a curse. But God also made a promise that creation would be renewed, that it would be restored and set free from its bondage to decay, as Paul says in Romans 8.21. The Bible does not tell us, though, how all of this new creation will occur. He doesn't give us... The details God doesn't reveal all the details to us. But Peter's description of a fiery destruction of creation, I personally do not believe, refers to an annihilation of creation, but rather to a catastrophic purging and supernatural transformation of creation as God reverses the curse of sin and makes all things new. In fact, I... This is suggested even in Peter's verses here when he writes in verses 6 and 7 when Peter compares the destruction by water in Noah's day with the destruction by fire in the day of the Lord. And just in Noah's day when, when water did not annihilate the whole earth, Rather, it purged it so the fire doesn't annihilate. Rather, it purifies and transforms the creation. You say, how's that all going to happen? I don't know. God doesn't tell us. But here's what I do know. Peter embraces God's promise of a new creation. He embraces it. It becomes his hope. It becomes something he looks forward to. When he writes in verse 13, but according to his promise, whose promise? God's promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This promise comes from Isaiah 65, 17, where God says, behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. And when Peter emphasizes that this new creation will be one in which Righteousness dwells. He implies that the cause for destroying the old creation was what? Was man's unrighteousness. Our world is filled with ungodliness and unrighteousness. That's what reigns today. We live in a fallen, sinful world. Unrighteousness. And so that those who reject now, during this time of salvation, this day of salvation in which we live, those who reject the righteousness of Christ to cover their sins will not be included in this new creation. Why? Because that's where righteousness will dwell. And by the way, you and I do not have righteousness of our own. We do not. We cannot produce this righteousness of our own. This righteousness comes from God through Jesus Christ. It is given to us. We are robed with righteousness of Christ. And therefore, we get to dwell in the new creation where righteousness dwells. That will be a glorious environment to live in, amen? An environment so unlike what we are experiencing now today. So what kind of people should we be in light of the coming day of the Lord? We should be waiting, we should be looking towards that day and do so with hope, with hopefulness, for the future. Yes, the day of the Lord will bring cataclysmic destruction. It will bring judgment to those who have not yet surrendered to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But it will also bring deliverance to those of us who know Christ. It will bring transformation with the new heavens and earth. But our hope in the future should also impact how we live today. If the hope we have of the day of the Lord coming doesn't make a difference now, then what's going on with us? Or are we even believers in Christ then? That ought to be a question we should evaluate ourselves by. In light of the coming day of the Lord, that Peter says, it's coming. That reality should have an impact on my life and how I live, how I relate, to one another, how I relate to my family, coworkers, the world around me. It should have an impact on my conduct, my character, my attitude, my priorities, my passions, everything. And if it doesn't, what's going on? That's what Peter's getting at. That's what he wants us to think through here with. As Joseph Stoll once wrote, when we begin to believe the reality on the other side, we start behaving differently on this side. So we now, Peter says, we should not only be waiting in hopefulness, we should be living in holiness in the present. Look what Peter says here in verses 11 and 12. Look at it again. He says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, What sort of people ought you to be? And then he tells us the answer. In lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. So what does that mean? What does it mean to live in holiness, to live in godliness? Does it mean I got to go to a monastery, be celibate, Does it mean I need to become a pastor like you, Bruce? No. What's interesting is Peter doesn't give us a list of do's and don'ts here. I'm thankful for that. For the words holiness and godliness are words that encompass all of life, every area of life in the presence of an ungodly world. The word holy, where we get holiness, it simply means to be set apart So to be holy is to be set apart, to be distinct from. And in this case, we are to be set apart in righteousness, distinct from a world that's full of unrighteousness. It doesn't mean being weird. Being holy doesn't mean being weird. But it does mean our conduct should be distinct from the world we live. It means our character ought to be a little different from our coworkers, from kids we go to school with. It means our our view of the world ought to be a little different. We ought to have a biblical worldview, which is gonna be radically different than a cultural worldview. All of this should impact us. Why? Because as Christ followers, listen, we hold to the truth and values of God's Word. We live now in light of eternity. We treasure Christ above all else. What does it mean to be godly? It means to reflect the very character and glory of God. And, we, and none of us are going to do this perfectly. That's not what the idea Peter's getting at here. But to be wholly set apart, To be godly is to reflect the godly character. And Peter says in chapter 1 that we are to make every effort to grow in godliness. And then Peter even gives us seven qualities of godliness in which we are to grow in, we're to progress in. Make every effort of that. And so instead of making every effort, the passion and priorities of our life to make more money, Get a bigger house, better car, blah, blah, blah. Not that all those things are wrong in and of themselves, but instead of making that the priority and passion of our lives and making every effort to acquire the things of this world, we are to make every effort to live in holiness. Why? Because of a reality that Peter's telling us, that God has promised, a day is coming. A day is coming. Is it making any difference in your life? Now, before we move on, Peter makes this incredibly striking phrase. He says something that is just mind-boggling at the end of verse 12. Did you catch it? When he writes, hastening the coming of the day of God. Now, that I, I just blows my mind when he writes that. And I'll have to be the first to admit, I don't really fully understand what Peter's saying here. But this much can be said, While no one knows when Jesus is going to return, nevertheless, listen, what he's saying or seems to be implying that you and I as Christ, we have a part to play in speeding it all up. Whoa. Peter's teaching here that it is possible for us to actually speed up or hasten the day of Jesus' return. You say, how? Well, notice this in your notes. Holiness and repentance will hasten the coming day of the Lord. Holiness and repentance will speed this day up. And you say, well, how is that possible, Bruce? How does holiness and repentance hasten Christ's return? Well, you got to follow the logic of Peter here in chapter 3. If you go back to verse 9, Peter tells us that God is holding back the day of the Lord. In other words, he's delaying Christ's return Why? So that all should come or reach what? Repentance. So you take that thought in verse 9, and then Peter, what he says here in verse 12, that as you wait for the coming day of the Lord in holiness, you can hasten it. You can speed it up. So it follows, in Peter's line of thinking here, his logic, it follows that holiness in repentance, it helps to remove the cause for delay, it actually speeds up the day of the Lord. Now, at the same time, we need to understand that we don't speed up Christ's return in an absolute sense. You say, why is that? Well, because Acts chapter 1, verse 7 teaches that the The Father, the Heavenly Father, has fixed the times and season by His own authority. Jesus said in Mark chapter 13, verse 22, that the Father knows the hour of the Son's return. But from our vantage point, from our perspective, we can hasten this day by fulfilling, if I can call this, the preconditions of Christ's return. And those preconditions are for Christ followers all across the world to live in holiness and proclaim the gospel of repentance as Jesus did. That's how we hasten this day. Now, you begin to think about that. It's incredibly profound. I mean incredibly profound. Because this means, what Peter is saying here, he's attaching significance to our lives. Now, He's attaching significance to your life. That means we are not here just to fill time. Nor are we here. We are no longer here just to kill time. Listen, we are here to make the most of our time until Jesus comes again. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16. He uses this word, redeeming the time. Why? Because we have been redeemed our lives. And because we've been redeemed, Paul says, listen, now redeem the time that you've been given here on this earth. You have a purpose and meaning that goes way beyond just living for the temporal that's going to pass away. No, Redeem the time. And you don't redeem it, you don't make the most of it for your own personal glory, your own kingdom building. That's not the idea. The significance that is being attached to your life and mine now that should impact your life at school, should impact your marriage, your family, your finances, is that all of this has been given to us so that we can make a kingdom difference. That we live in holiness and we proclaim with truth and love and grace the message of repentance that is needed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That there's hope for you. And that hope is now, it's the day of salvation. But a time is coming, the day of the Lord is coming when it will be all over. The end game will be up. We should be waiting with hopefulness. Peter says, and we should be living in holiness. Now, what's interesting is that the command that Peter gives us here to to wait with hopefulness, to live in holiness, here in verses 11 and 12, it is framed on each side by the destruction of the world as we know it. And yet, Peter's doing something a little different here. He is not emphasizing the destruction of the ungodly, He's already done that in chapter 2 of 2 Peter. Instead, here, Peter is emphasizing the destruction of the earth in the works that are done on it. And according to verse 11, Peter says it's passing away. It will be dissolved. The world and everything in it that should motivate us now That should motivate us to live in holiness and wait with hopefulness. So how is that a motivation? Well, let me answer that question for us. Motivation is this. Think about what you will lose versus what you will gain when Jesus comes. I challenge you to do that this week. In the quietness somewhere in your life, Before, As you you go to bed and your head's laying on the pillow, maybe it's when you're driving the car and you're driving by yourself somewhere, just let your mind, maybe you take a walk, let your mind contemplate. When the day the Lord comes and this world passes away, you just contemplate all the things you will lose on that day because it's a part of this world. And then all the things you will gain as a Christ follower because you've invested in eternity. In the eternal things that will last forever. I love, you know, John Piper. I'm a huge fan of John Piper. Most of you know that because I quote him a lot. Um, And he puts it this way. Let me read this to you. He says, most people try to find meaning in life by building something that's not just here today and gone tomorrow. We strive to overcome our sense of finiteness by producing something. Some people build equity and get a sense of power and success by looking at their house and thinking through their portfolio. Some build professional reputations through skill and hard work and get a sense of power and success from their heavy responsibilities and the numbers of people that look to them for leadership. Some people build artistic expressions and exalt in what they have created. Some... More simply, they just they build hobbies, collections, and gain a sense of superiority from the size of their collection or the abundance of their garden or the shine of their car or the wonders of their new Apple iPhone. And Peter's response to all that, if that is you, if that's what you're putting your effort into, making every effort to do those things, Peter's response is listen, it's all going to be burned up. It's all passing away. This is Peter's point. This world that so many people cling to, that so many people love, that so many people have attached their significance and identity to, it is going to be burned up in everything in it. So don't give yourself over to the pleasures of the world. Don't devote yourself to accumulating money. Don't spend your life building monuments for the praise of people. Why? Because it's all going to be burned up. It's all going to pass away. The implication of verse 11 is this. The only things that are going to survive the fires of God's judgment on this earth are the expressions of our holiness and godliness. It reminds me of the old saying, only one life will will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. I've heard those words since I was a kid. And yet those words still ring true even today. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's the point that Peter is driving at here. The world and all the treasures in it is going to be burned up. And the only things that will last are what you invest in God's kingdom. This means that every one of us here, we have a choice to make. Do you want to live for everything that is certain to be destroyed or do you want to live so that you will have an inheritance in the new heavens and earth? If you want to gain everything instead of losing everything, then Peter tells us, wait with hopefulness for the day of the Lord and live in holiness in the present till Jesus comes. But let's be honest. That is so much easier said than done, is it not? This is hard to live out in a world that is enticing. We live in a culture that distracts us greatly. We are consumed by what we see in the things around us, the noise around us, the media, the narratives that are out there from our friends, our co-workers, corporations, you name it. It is distracting from what Peter is trying to get us to contemplate here. And then you think all the things that we're enticed by because we have such a short view of life. Our perspective is only three feet beyond us. So where, then, do we find the power to persevere in these last days? Where do we find the power to live as holy people of hope in these last days? Listen, we are not without power. We are not left to do this on our own. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, right? We would all fail, we cannot do this on our own. We cannot persevere on our own. And so we find this in God himself. His divine power, it gives you everything you need to persevere in these last days. You have everything you need to wait with hopefulness and to live in holiness. So where do you get this? You go all the way back to what Peter says in chapter 1 of this book, 2 Peter. And there he says in verses 3 through 4, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world Because of sinful desire. Do you hear what Peter is saying? Do you realize what this means? Peter is saying that as believers in Christ, we have everything we need to persevere in the faith till Jesus comes. And to do so with hopefulness and in holiness. This means we have. The power of God to enable us to wait in eagerness, to wait in anticipation with hope. We should be hope filled people on this earth. And then to live in holiness in the present. But we must make every effort to do so. We must persevere, in other words, Peter says. Make every effort to grow in our relationship with God. So with that in mind, let me leave you two action steps that is not in your notes, not coming up on the screen. Number one, to wait with hopefulness, stay focused. Stay focused. You say, why do you say that? Because we are a distracted community of Christ followers. That We're just prone to be distracted. Me included. It is so easy in our culture to be distracted become distracted from what we need to focus on. This world distracts us. Temptation distracts us. What we hear distracts us. That's why we need to be absorbed in the word of God, to refocus us. And so in the midst of all the distractions in life, keep this one truth in focus, but the day of the Lord will come. It is coming, Church. This truth that should melt away our anxieties, it exposes the insignificance of so many of the things that excite us. Oh, that we would keep this day in mind so that we might live like the sojourners, the aliens that Peter says we are in this world, and that we would use each day, we would make the most of every day as a precious gift for God's glory. So to wait with hopefulness, stay focused. To live in holiness, stay clean. Stay clean. Listen, when you know that the day is coming, when you're going to stand before a holy God, you're going to face a righteous judge, then your greatest concern is not what you have acquired in this passing world. Your greatest concern all of a sudden becomes how you are living. Because I know there's a day I'm going to stand before my Heavenly Father and give an account of my life. That motivates. The day of the Lord is coming. And we should look forward to that day. That is a hope that we have. We wait in anticipation, we wait with hope. We are not like some of our neighbors, we're not like people who don't know Christ, and their only hope, especially in these last 18 months, is in the government. I'm dependent on the government to help me to survive COVID. What a sad reality. Because as Christ followers, our hope goes way beyond that. Our hope is ultimately in a sovereign God who rules over everything, and one day he is coming through his son, Jesus Christ. And so let us have a hope that goes beyond what we can ever find in this world, what can ever be offered to you by the government or your employer or even your family and friends. Our hope is greater than that. It is in the person of Jesus Christ. So wait with hopefulness and then live in holiness. Our lives ought to be different, distinct. We ought to reflect the character and glory and godliness of God. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we confess, oh, Lord, that we are lacking. We are lacking in perseverance. Lord, we confess that we, we live such distracted lives. And when we're distracted, we, we are not focused on you and the things that matter. We're trying to grab hold of the temporary for moments of happiness but Lord, as Christ's followers, you have given us everything. You have provided everything. And so let us stay focused. Let us stay clean until the coming day of your return. Lord, help us to persevere. And in the meantime, help us to be motivated to share the hope that is in Jesus Christ with a world that desperately needs that hope. We ask this In your son's precious name, amen. Jeremy, I want you to come on up in the praise team. We're going to end this service by singing. And just as we sing, I want you to understand we are acknowledging that we serve a mighty God. We have a Savior who has redeemed us. We have been rescued from the sins of this fallen world. And while we live in this corrupt world, the day is coming where Jesus, will come. And we look forward to a new day. We look forward to the new creation and new heavens. And so will you stand and will you sing? Give praise to our Father. There is a truth Older than the ages There is a promise things yet to come there is one born for our salvation